What's up, everybody? This is Shiragam, and I want to welcome you to episode 20 of the Hashishin, brought to you by Rosin Evolution, the best bags in the game. Today, we'll be going international and talking to Andrea, aka Slight23, who's the lead hash maker for the Spanish social cannabis club HQ Barcelona. Outside of being a really nice guy, Andrea is a super talented hash maker, and he talks to us about the Spanish cannabis scene, migrating from Italy, and the Barcelona hashing, so you'll definitely want to stay tuned for that. I recently posted on Instagram that we've surpassed 60,000 downloads as of last month, which is nuts to us, so a big shout out to everyone listening. We love this, and it's beyond rewarding that it seems to be resonating with others really worldwide. And a bigger shout out to the people who fund our ability to keep making the podcast, our Patreon community. So much love to each and every one of you. You are our lifeline. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have some cool interviews on the Patreon that are exclusive to it, such as Taste of Cascadia, the Masonic Smoker, the Indian Land Race Collective, and some other cool ones that you can only check out on there. So check out our Patreon at patreon.com backslash the hashish in that's the hashish inn or use the link in the bio it's probably the easiest way to do it much love to our sponsors rosin evolution who you can follow on instagram at rosin evolution 100 that's the number one zero zero or on their website rosinevolution.com you know the deal they have a great product they get it to you lightning fast they have outstanding customer service So if you press rosin or you wash hash and rock rosin evolutions gear, it's micron accurate, it's made from high quality material, it's reasonably priced, and more importantly, it holds up when it counts, whether that's during the squish or the wash. If you want to save even more money and support the podcast, use our savings code, the letters THI, The number's 710, so that's THI 710 all together, and it saves you 5%. It helps us out, and it supports a business that's supporting us. Also, a big shout out to our homies at Low Temp Plates. You can follow them on Instagram at lowtemp.plates or on their website, lowtemp-plates.com. A listener just hit me up not long ago and told me that he had decided to go with a low temp V2 system over another high end rosin press. In part, it was due to low temp's emphasis on modularity, but honestly, it also just had to do with the price point alone. I've said it before and I'll say it again, low temp plates provides you the most bang for your buck when it comes to a rosin press. So if you're looking for a high quality rosin press that doesn't break the bank, low temp plates is the way to go. And you can save an additional 5% on your entire purchase using our savings code, the letters THI. 5% on a rosin press is a decent amount of money. So do yourself a favor, buy yourself a great press and save yourself 5% by using the letters THI and it helps the podcast as well. And last but not least, our new friends at Pele Polare, pelepolareco.com. If you're tired of lugging around extra ice and more importantly, tired of spending a ton of resources on ice that you might not need, especially in these summer months, then do yourself a favor and check out Pele Polare's website. They make high quality thermal jacketing systems which not only helps you insulate your washing vessel, but it saves you from having to use as much ice. 
and it keeps your gear looking fresh because they can customize it. Whether it's the color of your thermal jacketing system or adding your logo to it, they specialize in customization. So check them out, pelepolareco.com. I just saw that our homies from Mission Melts in Massachusetts have been using it. And as always, it's important for me to believe in what I'm advertising. So I reached out and they're loving it and it honestly makes their brute cans look sharp. And again, if you want to save 5% on your purchase with them, use our savings code, the letters T-H-I, and support the companies that support us if you can. One last thing, reviews. You guys have been killing it by leaving awesome reviews on iTunes. We love hearing from you, so keep them coming. If you can, take the time to write a review. It goes a really long way, so please let us know what you think. Again, we love hearing from you. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Today, I am beyond stoked to be here with Andrea, better known as Slight23, based out of Barcelona, Spain. You can follow his Instagram at Slight23, that's S-L-I-T-E, and the number's 2-3. He's the lead hash maker for the social club HQ Barcelona. You can follow them at HQ Barcelona. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you for doing this with me, bro. Hi, bro. I'm so humbled to be here, to be invited here from you after such an amazing gash makers before me. And so thank you. And also, I would like to say thank you, bro, to call me every Sunday before this interview just to know me better and to do some practice with me, you know. So, yeah, I'm super happy to be here with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, touching on that point, we have kind of been talking maybe like the last three or four weeks before getting to this interview. And it's not something that I typically do with people. But again, as I've told you, and of course, as the people who have been listening typically know, I always do the interviews in person. And now the world's situation isn't allowing for that to happen. So, you know, it's been a cool opportunity to I said, if we're going to do it on the internet, let's just go as far as we can go. And I've been really excited to talk to you because I've been really excited to talk to someone uh, out of the Barcelona scene. You know, it seems like things have been really going fast there with Hash the past few years. So it's been cool getting to know you and building kind of a little bit of a chemistry before the interview, similar to maybe hanging out with someone in person. Yeah, bro, we, uh, the, the thing are changing in Barcelona in the last maybe four or five years. Um, why? Because, uh, yeah, of course, because of the cannabis club. So we had the pleasure to start it to, to open some place, some places where you can go to, to smoke inside, but not also to smoke, but just to go and to, to do some different activities. We can talk a lot about it uh, during the interview. The situation in Spain is uh, a little bit different from, I don't know, the, uh, the cannabis dispenser in USA, for example, or from the coffee shop in, in, in Amsterdam, where all tourists can go there to buy some weed and to smoke weed. So here is a little bit different because if you want to go in a cannabis club, uh, you need to be personally recommended by a member that he's already a member of the club. And so, specifically, 
I'm sorry to cut you off, but specifically you told me last time that technically you have to be like a registered Spanish worker or voter or something. Yeah, you need to be here. You need to work here in Barcelona. You need to have a national insurance number. But I mean, not in all clubs is the same, you know. So sometimes some tourists can go inside the clubs, can smoke something. But maybe they pay a little bit more for the membership or I don't know, they have like, uh, they need to wait more time before they can dispense the weight, you know? Also, in the cannabis club, we do not sell anything. So you just give us your amount of money to let us grow your monthly amount of weed that you need, you know? So when you go to the club for the first time, you need to sign a paper with your name, your surname, your your document, your number of document. And also, you have some rules that you need to follow in the club. And you can, uh, you can have a part where you can put the total amount of weed that you need during the month. And it can be up to 100 grams maybe or something like this. But man, as you know, as we told before, uh, as I told you before, uh, during our conversation, here's the situation is tolerated, you know, it's not legal. There is some kind of, you know, stranger things in this, in these things, you know, it's, it's like cannabis is illegal here in Spain for commercial purposes, you know? So, uh, I don't know, such as a trade or sale, but for example, the possession or use of drug in a public place is not a crime here. But you can have like a fine from 600 to 3,000 euro more or less. So you don't go to the jail, but you can receive a ticket, for example. Uh, But yeah, selling drugs is a real crime here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And it's interesting, you know, we've talked about that in our conversations, how it, in the sense of, it being tolerated, I think to that sense, it's similar maybe to the Amsterdam, right? Because in Amsterdam, it's not legal either. But as you said, in Amsterdam, they have like that public almost interface, Places. right? Like you can go to a coffee shop. You don't have to be from there. Anybody can attend uh, or go into one of these places and, and buy weed and, and smoke weed. But in Spain, it definitely sounds like you need to have someone basically refer you to a club or, and like you said, I'm sure all the clubs are a little bit different, but it's very like behind closed doors type thing. You can't be out on the street smoking weed. Yeah, exactly, bro. Exactly. The, the difference is that you cannot stop in front of the door and you can enter inside. You know, this is the difference, but, uh, is the same in the, in the, um, is the same compared with the coffee shop just because they can sell, but they cannot grow. So here, more or less, is the same. I mean, you can grow weed for your personal use only. I mean, like two or three plants. But, you know, you cannot grow a large amount of weed, for example, for the cannabis club. So this is one of the stranger things that we have about it the cannabis club it is strange and i think what makes it strange is like obviously there's 
weed and herb in the cannabis clubs, whether it be in Amsterdam or in Spain. But it's like, where is it coming from if nobody's allowed to grow it, right? Yeah, and we need to say, we need to say something more, bro, because Cannabis Social Club are no commercial organization, you know? So we organize just the collective cultivation of very limited amount of cannabis. Right. So it's just enough to cover the personal needs of their club members, you know? We cannot do it. Right. Because if, so this is some particular stranger things that it's so difficult to understand because you can smoke, but you cannot grow. So right. where the cannabis coming from, you exactly. know? So yeah, this is the situation here, bro, more or less. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you for, you know, clarifying that because I, I'm sure a lot of the listeners are curious, especially the ones that haven't been able to make it out there yet. And, you know, I've even heard from some people that you wouldn't even know that there's a social club usually behind one of the doors or where they're located, or it's not something that like you could easily find. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You need to know someone that can bring you to this club or that can talk to you about this club. Right. You know, outside of the social clubs, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about in regards to the Barcelona scene, and I'm specific about that because I don't know how the rest of the cannabis scene is in, the, in Spain and, you know, other parts, but you mentioned the word respect quite a bit in our conversations, and you've been very clear that generally on the cannabis scene, everybody respects each other. That's not to say that everybody are friends or like each other, but if you're a good hash maker, if you're a good grower, whatever it may be, there's a general respect that's given. Can you talk a little bit about that since you are on the scene? Yeah, for sure, bro. I saw that a lot of people around the world talking shit about some people or some they hold friends or some people that they have some, I don't know, partnership or friendship during the time, you know, here is the same situation, but here, I mean, we talk about respect because, uh, we are not huge cannabis company. You know, we are just a little businesses. So, I mean, I hate someone or some people, you know, because I don't like, for example, how they, uh, how they live or what they think or something like this, you know, but in our professional part of our life, I mean, I'm an ash maker. So if you are a good ash maker, you can do whatever you want in your life. This is not my problem, you know, but I like your work because you are a, a are an incredible ash maker. You do your job properly, you know? So I don't understand why I need to hate you about it. Or just because you, I don't know, you produce more hash than me, or I don't know, you found some strain better than me. I mean, this is not good for the cannabis industry, bro. It's all about competition, you know? So yeah, I like to compete with my colleagues, but I would like to be, I would like to see a, a clear competition, you know, I don't know what can I say in English, but I would like, 
that our friendship or partnership, it can be just pure. And then you can hate me, I can hate you. This is not important for me. We cannot, how can I say, we cannot like all people in the world, you know? So, I mean, I try to collaborate, for example, with people that they are not just a good dashmakers, but I see a lot how they are in person. You know, if they are a good people, if we can go to eat something together, because it's not about just cannabis, you know. But yeah, we can wash together, we can press together, but we need to spend time together. So I try to do it as better as I can. And with the person that I think they are good to be near to me, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's cool, man. You know, like you said, everybody can live their life how they want. But on a professional level, I think it's cool that everybody or generally people respect each other's work. You know, if you're if you're good at what you do, you respect them yeah, for bro. what they do. Yeah, let me let me tell you something more. For example, during this coronavirus, this period that we are locked down at home, we create with my friends Ashmaker from other cannabis club a group in WhatsApp to to talk between each other, to I don't know, to to exchange some knowledge, to talk about hashish, you know. So, you know, there are a lot of people in this group. I don't, I, I can't go to it with all of them or I'm not friends of all of them but I respect all of them because they are so fucking cool they are really good growers they are really good ash makers so about the professional part I'm I have a lot of respect of them you know that's it yeah so you know that brings up an interesting point to me because I feel like Obviously, Barcelona is not a small city, but I'm assuming that the majority of the cannabis community kind of knows each other on the scene and geographically, you're not far from each other. So do you feel like that's led to more collaborations, more learning from each other than, for example, on the American scene where I'm sure that does happen and maybe it happens more through like Instagram or DMing or these types of things? because a lot of people are not geographically close to each other. Do you feel like that's kind of an advantage uh, to being a hash maker in Barcelona now? Yes, I think, bro, because the majority of the co- the cannabis clubs are here in Barcelona. Uh, we are full of cannabis clubs in Spain, but you can find maybe the most important, if I can say this, you know, uh, here in Barcelona. So, yeah, we are a little community where we try to help each other, we try to talk with each other, or we try to organize some events together. Because, for example, maybe we can talk about it more when we talk about, for example, Masters of Rosin, and because we organize the Moron Tour, for example, we do some some collaboration with a lot of, can- with a lot of cannabis club. And, yeah, we try to help each other, bro. Because we need to do it, you know. This is a legal situation, so we need to help each other. We need to know how the things gone or how the things uh, 
go, you know? Yeah. I wanted to bring up a funny story that's kind of relates into working with other people that you mentioned to me in one of our conversations, which was, I don't remember who specifically it was, but you said they had acquired an ice cream truck type of vehicle and yourself and <laughs> some other hash makers were working in there oh, in the yeah. early uh, cool 2010s. Story. Yeah, this is a cool story, bro, because a friend of mine that, uh, his name is Paulino, and he was the first ash maker, and he is actually the owner of We Flower Cannabis Club. I think I have so much respect on this club and his entourage, and I love the people that they work there. And Doc Hates, for example, he is the actual ash maker of We Flowers, for example, Francesco. So, like, Seven years ago or six years ago, the first year that I was, that I landed in Barcelona, I had the pleasure to meet this guy and I had a lot of uh, material uh, because some plants show me some hermaphrodites. So at the end of my grown, I had the, the plants full of seeds. Okay. So I, need, I needed to wash all my material. and. I wasn't an ash maker at the moment. So I hanging out with this guy, Paulino, and he told me, bro, no worry, you can come in my house. I bought a nice truck. So inside it's super cold and we can do some fresh frozen dry seed. So I was like shocked, you know, because it was the first time for me that I listened dry seed fresh frozen. So he explained it to me that at under 12 degrees Celsius, I'm sorry if I talk about Celsius degree, but I don't know the conversion in Fahrenheit right now, but we can recollect the resin fresh frozen using the dry stiff tech. So with the screen of dry stiff, we try to recollect one of the best products I ever smoked in my life. And yeah, it was super cool, bro, because we was out of his house in a high city near to Barcelona at like, I don't know, 100 kilometer or something more. And yeah, we worked, we worked all night trying to, to recollect more resin as possible. And then we wash it all. So I had a really good return and it was there that I met for the first time these guys that I loved so much. Yeah, no, that is a cool story, man. So just so we can kind of touch on the technical part of it. Uh, you said that all the plants had all were seeded, I guess, at that point. Yeah. And yeah. you still, at that point, processed them and were able to collect a decent amount of resin off it. Yeah, because I do, not, I, do not have a, I do not have a lot of seeds inside. Okay. But just enough to can't dispense it, you know? Gotcha. So I decided to, and it was my the period that I was growing cannabis. So I decided by myself to to try to make some different product, you know, to to have a different quality because the flowers wasn't good. So we tried to recollect all the resin and to to make some dry sift 
fresh frozen that we smoke just for our personal use because it was right. impressive. And the other part of the material we wash, uh, we washed at all just to make some fine water ash. Yeah, so it brings up an interesting point that I've never talked to anybody about. But as a hash maker, as somebody who is seeing the resin and seeing a decent amount of resin, do you feel like a plant that has been seeded in some way, whether it's a hermaphrodite or, you know, do you feel like the resin quality is any lesser I think yes. Okay. I think yes. That the quality is a little bit less good than than a, a perfect plant growing in a perfect condition and growing properly. So I think you are going to lose something. Yes. Something think, in the quality of the resin and something maybe in terpenes too. Yeah. So basically, the plant is using almost like its energy to to also create seed taking away a little bit maybe of the energy it has to create trichomes and, and finish out. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people that they made in the past some bubble hash from seeded plants. And it was so good. But I think now with all the knowledge that I had now, I can say that, yeah, maybe it's something you're going to lose if the plants are seeded. Okay. And then just because I, I haven't really heard about this before, how were you preparing the material that time, for example, to work on the truck to do the fresh frozen uh, dry sifting? Yeah, we do the same process of the water ash. Just freezing. So, yeah, exactly. Just freezing. But we freeze the material directly into the truck. Okay. You know, so it was just take the material and put it into the screen and the resin alone fall down so we can recollect it. I see. So you weren't even agitating at all. It was just natural. No, bro. Exactly. Because it was super cold, bro. I don't know 112 degree, how much is it in Fahrenheit, but it's super cold, bro. Yeah. Cool, man. That's a, that's an interesting story. Like I said, you know, another yeah. reason that I wanted to talk to you outside of, you know, finding your work interesting and wanting to kind of see what was going on on the Barcelona scene is, and shout out to Joseph Solventless is more. I talked to uh -huh. him last year and he had been to Spanibus and I think some of the surrounding events. And he was like, bro, it's funny. He's like a lot of the guys who are really pushing the envelope on the Barcelona hash scene are actually Italian. <laughs> and you are Italian, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm coming from a little city in the south of Italy. Um, yeah, bro, this is a good question. Uh, I think that it's all about culture. We grew up with the Moroccan hashish. So we smoke a lot of Moroccan hashish in Italy. Also, we smoke a lot of chilum. Do you know what chilum it is? I think you should tell us because I think a lot of people have different ideas of what it is. 
but yeah, just uh, basically like the the chillum pipe. Yeah, it's like a ceramic pipe, uh, tubular with a rock inside, with the same dimension of the of the tool, and you can smoke inside some really good hash. So I think this tool is coming from India. When people use um, when people used to smoke charas inside, so right. they bring this tool uh, to the European people, and I think it's actually where hash started to came in Italy. So during the sixty maybe or seventy, when people start to go to the Asia region or to the Nepal mountain in India, and they start to came back with uh, with some super fine. Uh, hash that we call charas and yeah i think that it's not about this it's not just about this but i think because we are we try to to do the thing as how can i say uh, we try to to make the perfection in all the thing we do i mean uh the italian guy are really good for example in the kitchen or are really good to make wine and i think that cannabis is on the same level of these two things so yeah i think it's just because of this bro and also we have our father and grandfather that some of them they grown during the time or you know the i think it's just because of this bro yeah no it's just it's so intriguing right like the the spanish hashing seems to be thriving and some of the lead guys are italian so it it's an interesting dynamic and yeah i could i could see how what you're saying you know there it's it's a handcrafted artisanal thing and italy does have that reputation like you said for the wine making and for the cooking and for the food and so i could see that translation so that's pretty interesting and you were telling me you were like from a small town very very south in Italy, and you also told me in our conversations that uh, everybody in your family and some people in and around where you live now know what you work in. I'm curious what their thoughts on cannabis are or on you working in cannabis are. Ah, okay, yes, yes, of course. Yeah, I decided to to let my my family know what I'm doing now because uh, I never hide anything from them. So, yeah, my mother, for example, she can't understand, but she loved me, you know, so she needs to, to be on my side, you know. So, yes, I decided to tell them because, she, because they come in here in Barcelona to find me sometimes and to stay with me. And I cannot hide my groan because it's impossible, you know. And also, I never expected in my life to be a good ashmaker or to be, how can I say, to be um, a reference from somebody else, you know? So, yeah, it's good for me to, to tell to my family what, what I'm doing now and the level that I was able to achieve. So, yeah, I would like to, to have them to be part of this. Yeah, that's cool that they they support you no matter what, you know? Exactly. Even if they don't, like you said, understand it, maybe. Yeah, because in Italy, the situation is totally legal. Illegal. Totally illegal. Illegal, yeah, yeah. 
in Italy is super strange. Maybe this is another reason that we are really good to grow cannabis and to 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 do some uh, concentrates. So I think it's because of repression during the time, you know, because if the police find you in Italy with just one joint, you are fucked up. Not the first time, but the second time, yes. So they give you just one opportunity and at the second time, you can go to the jail maybe. Yeah, so it's very strict. Yeah, so I think we we hide ourselves from the police to when we smoked cannabis when we was younger. So I think it was one of the reasons that that uh, pushing our how can I say this is another reason that we maybe because we are good ash makers, you know. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the Moroccan hash that you mentioned earlier. I know yeah. you didn't start smoking until a little later in life because you were playing a lot of basketball and obviously smoking probably isn't a great thing to play, you know, if you're playing competitively. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I start to smoke. I started to smoke like around 16 or 17. And yeah, uh, I was playing basketball for a long time. And then when I decided to to move to Rome to study, it was there that I started to smoke my first joint, and it was a shit cannabis because it came from it came from Albania, uh, a region near to Italy. So usually the narcotrafficants they usually throw the this bucket full full of weed into the into the sea. And somebody else go to the recollected them. So the weed was full of uh, humidity. It was like, I don't know, I can say ammoniaca in, in English, but the smell was so bad, bro. <laughs> and it was there that, yeah, I decided to move to, to Barcelona, to Rome, sorry. And it was there that I started to smoke really good quality of hash that came from Morocco. The history in Morocco is a little bit strange because they started to make some kif. We call it kif because it's hush, but made it with uh, an old school technique where you need to put all the weed into into a metal bowl. You need to cover this bowl with plastic sheet. So the Moroccan guys start to beat the, the material with two sticks, with two boot sticks until all the resin is falling down. So they recollect the resin to do some brick of 100 grams to sell to the people. And it was until maybe the 80s when the European people bring them, bring there during the late 80s or the, the first year of the 90s where people bring the, um, the dry sieve technique. So it was there that this technique was a game changer. So a lot of ash maker now uh, that they had, they have like, uh, they had a cannabis club. They try to go to Morocco to make the best hash possible. So the quality of the ash is 100% better than 20 years ago. So you can find some, you can find some, I don't know, maybe filtered hash. We call filtered hash because the ash maker they use used to 
to filter the material in the bubble bags or in the dry fit screen to give you maybe some specific micron hash. So you can find some brick of 90 micron or 120 micron. So it's strange, but the hash is really good, bro. It's really good. Some hash, it seems to be bubble hash. It's melted at the same, it's not the same quality, of course, but yes, it's really good. I love to smoke uh, Moroccan hash, for example. Yeah. So this was like around 2010 or around the, that time? Uh, yeah. Uh, when the, uh, what you are talking about, the hash maker go there to make good quality hash. Yeah, that change from doing the... Yeah, it was... It was for the cannab- for the cannabis club, bro. Right. I mean, yeah. And then you were able to get a hold of that in Rome, though. Yeah, you can find Moroccan hash in all parts in Europe, bro. Right. And I'm curious, yeah. you know, because the obviously things have changed a lot in Morocco as well, especially with the influence of outside genetics. At that time, do you remember, was it, outside genetics just being grown in Morocco and then the resin was being brought back into Europe or was it still more local Moroccan varieties or genetics? Mm, bro, they try to, to put some genetics that can give you the best return in resin as possible. So it depends from genetics in genetics, but actually uh, they, they plant seeds every time. They don't have any mother there. So they just maybe found the best seeds available at the time, at the moment. And yeah, they just plant these seeds. I'd like to take an extra moment to thank our Patreon community again for allowing us to produce episode 20 with Slide 23 and give a special shout out to some of our biggest contributors, including Wisely Hash in Maine, Tony from Diamond Extracts in Oklahoma, Kevin of Lifted in Dina, Kyle the Full Melt Fiend, Lost Roots Hash in Oklahoma, Nate from Arizona, Daniel in Connecticut, the American Hashmakers in Washington, Mario in Illinois, James the Casual Cultivator, Totem Solventless in California who's been killing it, our homies Mission Melts in Massachusetts, our good friend Jen Doe 420, Big C, and Manchu Gardens based out of Colorado. Thank each and every one of you. Now back to the episode. Yeah, and so you had mentioned this earlier in context to your parents being around and not being able to keep it, but let's talk about your growing a little. That is something uh-huh. that also started in Rome? Yeah, uh, yeah. actually I was starting in Rome because of uh, I was spending a lot of money smoking cannabis and hash because it was super expensive. So I decided by myself to build my first grow room. It was just one lamps for my personal use only. Okay. And yeah, I was sleeping with, with, uh, with them. So I had the same grow room in the same room <laughs> I was sleeping. So yeah. it was crazy. And I did it for maybe six or seven years until I decided to move to Barcelona. Because I hear something about the cannabis club. I hear something about that the movement is changing. So I decided to bet all I had at the time to chase the dream, bro. 
So I left my job. I left my girlfriend. I left at the time. I left my my friends, and I moved to Rome with my best uh, friends, Vincenzo. We took our first house here. It was an apartment, and we built our first grow room with just five lamps. So we did it for two years until he decided to go out of the cannabis industry. So I was alone uh, with my girlfriend and we decided to take a home together and to build another grown by myself just for me. So, and this is actually my, my actually grow room. So I had like two different rooms now with five lamps each. And also now I change some HPS lamps with some uh, LED lamps. Yeah, I just, uh, I'm doing this for five years now. So I'm in the same house and I have the same grow room. And I try to, to keep the best as possible from those lamps. So I try to maximize my, my job as better as I can. Yeah, I've seen you recently posting about these new LEDs that you've been running. And I'm curious, yeah. have you been able to get through a whole run with it? And if so, have you seen any difference between that and the HPS results? Okay, so this is my first world run because when I get the, the lamps, uh, I was in the second week of flowering, so I just changed it. And I cannot say something more about it. But I had some Lumatec, uh, 600, Zeus 600, sorry. And a company that uh, called Sunlight, they come in from Austria. So it's a European company that they build out their first uh, lamps. They contact me on Instagram to give me some for free to try. Okay. And so I do, I do some posts for them. And of course... I, I'm in contact with them to to show them some photo about the difference between HPS and 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 LED lamps. Yeah, at, at really at the scale of the resin, which is probably different than some of the other growers maybe that they've been working with. Yeah, this is my my first point. You know, uh, this is the best point. So I would like to see the resin on the plants. I'm not about the flowers. So right. I would like to see if the resin will be the same of HPS. But I think yes, bro. Now I'm going to wash, for example, tomorrow I'm going to wash some GMO that I did with Lumatech. So I'm going to see the resin if it's the same or if it's better or not. Okay, cool. And what were some of the early genetics that you were running when you first started growing? <laughs> well, um, we had a lot of uh, sativa genetics, a lot of AIDS at the time, like amnesia, like, I don't know, like uh, super lemonades, for example. But yeah, maybe my first ash was, my first water ash was with amnesia. Yeah, something like this. And it was super cool because the resin of the amnesia iPro is amazing. It's so loud, but yes, bro, it's, we are full of AIDS, you know. I can't, I can't smell anymore some AIDS terps. So I smoked a lot in my life. 
and I'm full of this herb. So like Tenji, for example, I ate Tenji, you know, and all coming from Tenji, I cannot smoke, but not because I ate it, but because I smoke a lot in my life. I'm full of these herbs, you know. It's like, I mean, you know, when you drink the same wine for one month, of course you can't drink drink it anymore because you are full of these terpenes, you know. So it's the same in weed for me. Yeah, I think last time in our conversation you used a good word. It's an oversaturation. Oversaturation, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and we were laughing about that because I, I actually, I enjoy hazes and I enjoy that kind of smell profile. And it's not super common here, but in Europe, uh, you're right. In, in Europe, hazes are, are a big thing. And it's always been so curious to me because it's like <laughs> the opposite environment in most cases of what hazes need to grow. So mm-hmm. it, was it more of a, a thing of just people's preference or choice at one point there? I don't know. I don't know too, bro. <laughs> I don't know too. But I mean, we had really, we had pool of these terpenes. All people yeah. grown the same weed. All people tried to get this fucking amnesia cut because it <laughs> was the harvest was impressive and the weed was super good. I smoked a lot of amnesia in my life. But I can't smoke any more sativa, for example, because I had some paranoid during the time. And I'm not able to smoke sativa anymore. I smoke just indica. Uh, we, I, I do not smoke weed anymore. I smoke just ash. So I try to find some strain that they are like 80% indica. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up the amnesia and making hash and the good results because that's one of the things I think that is almost like a general point with water hash making is that things that lean more towards these quote-unquote sativa profiles typically don't do well in water hash. So that you had found a phenotype of that amnesia that was producing well is kind of interesting on its own. Yeah, this one is, was super cool. I had the cut for five years and then I let it go. Right. <laughs> for different <laughs> reasons. <laughs> so since we're on genetics, you know, what are you growing now? What is what are the things that the social clubs you know want to see, and and how does that play into what you want to grow? You know, are you able to grow things that you want to see how they turn out, and then, uh, yeah, how, how does that play out? Okay, so uh, I think we uh, we try to grow the best uh, strain that came from USA. So uh, some, of, some of us, uh, we have some friends that can help us to found this genetics. And sometimes we prefer to, to get this genetics instead to do some selection by ourselves because okay. it's so difficult to find good seeds here in Europe. And yeah, it took a lot of time to make selection and sometimes you don't find anything. Right. So uh, we do not have the possibility to lose all this time because we lose a lot of money. So we try to get the best genetics in the market and to work with those genetics. So I had, for example, now in my, uh, my mother's room, I had a GMO, 
I had THC bomb, I had ice cream cake, Sandy Driver, that American River Estra gave it to me. We get some new genetics now, and we are waiting for them. And we are talking with Rosin only too now to try to find some good stuff. I don't know, man. It's all about maybe, yeah, you need to know the correct person to work with or right. where you can find the correct genetics. Yeah. Yeah. So since you bring it up, I'm curious how you feel the U.S. hash scene has influenced the Spanish hash scene. Mm, I think, bro, I think that it's all about social media, bro. Now all people add all the information for free just reading the comment of the best hash makers in the world. So I think we did the same. So I started personally to follow people like, I don't know, at the time, Metarize for, for Water Ash, you know, Nika T2, about Rosin, maybe, I don't know, Rosin Ryan or Soil Ground Solventless, you know. I yeah. mean, all people have uh, uh, references. So me too, as an ash maker, I, I try to follow the best ash maker in the market. I try to do the product like them because, you know, it's, it's not about just cannabis. But I mean, if you are a mechanic, for example, of course, you want to, to work with the Ferrari teams, for example. So I think it's the same. You try to, you try to follow the best in the market in, all jo- in every jobs, you know? It's true. But one of the things that you brought up that I thought was a really good point is in our conversations, you, you were like, look, I think there's a lot of people making good hash out there, but you feel that there's more of a smaller selection of people that you consider really good hash makers in the sense that they're not only looking to replicate what they see, but to really understand what they're doing and exactly looking at it almost like in a science, almost a scientific way where you're really doing like research and you're really pushing things to see what is possible. Yeah, bro. We are not a scientific, but, I think that experience is, is the greatest teacher in your life. So this is not about just reproduce what you see in Instagram or from other ash makers. You need to understand the, the process doing this particular tech, for example. You know, because this is not, ah, okay, I put the jar, the jar into the oven and I have the jam. Yes, maybe, or maybe not. But do you know why you had the jam? Or do you know what's happened to the process before to have the jam? So I think there are not a lot of people that can answer to you to this question. So I think it's not about reproduce, but you need to understand why you are, you are doing this particular step or process before to have this particular consistency, for example. Right. So there are a lot of people that they think they are good ash makers and maybe they are, but if you ask them the same question, maybe they cannot answer to you because they don't know. And not only maybe it is it that they don't know, but 
it's have they thought about it like you know does does it make a difference to them what they're doing or not or they are they just doing it to make something that people want for example yeah yeah of course bro of course or there are a lot of people that they write to me in my personal instagram they chat with me and i try to help them as much as i can uh because i love to help people doing my job and i i i love to share what i'm learned and but i can tell you how to to do some things but you need to understand why you are doing this you know you need to read you need to follow the best dash makers in in instagram you need to read if you read just the comment you know you can be a good dash maker you know you just need to to read and to reproduce but if you want to be the best you need to go one step ahead you know yeah last time you had a book you were reading me an excerpt last time we talked that you were reading a book like on terpenes and not necessarily cannabis or terpenes but terpenes in general yeah it's a chemistry books uh, just because i'm not a scientist so i would like to understand better what's up in the process i mean why i know now i know it but i want in my life to understand what i do in in general not just in cannabis industry you know so now i'm a nash maker so i want to know what i'm do and i want to know why i'm doing this instead of this for example so i think that uh we also are a little a step uh before of usa because we don't have so much material to work with uh we don't have a good company that that make some good analysis for example on the material and of course we can't lose a lot of money doing this you know because right. we live from the, from our job and we do not have large quantity of material to work with yeah that's one of the things that i i've definitely uh, picked up on is i feel like in part it has to do with the way that the city and maybe is kind of set up right like grow rooms or grow spaces are probably a lot smaller or more limited than they might be here in some cases and you yeah, were exactly. specifically last time that you feel like you think about producing resin a little differently than maybe people do here in the sense of you're looking for plants that not only produce a lot of biomass but mm-hmm, also exactly. a percentage that you're happy with of resin that's coming off that large amount of biomass obviously creating more hash exactly exactly i think this is the thing of all hash makers right so you need to find the correct genetics to work with you know i change for example my methodology to to grow because i i'm i'm not growing flowers anymore but i try to grow resin so i have the final product i mean flowers a little bit smaller but covered of a lot of resin for example so 
I try to adapt the tech to try to have the best resin possible at the end of the of the cycle. Right. And what's your medium currently? About returning bubble hash? No, your medium. Like, are you going soil? Are you? Oh cooking? yeah, in soil. Yeah, 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 yeah. I grow in soil, bro. I grow in soil, and yeah, I think I'm gonna grow in soil for sometimes more. You know, I love it because I think that. The resin in soil for me is a little bit better than, for example, hydroponics or some people that grow in cocoa, for example. And by better, what do you mean? Is it more flavorful? Is it more what? Yeah, I think there are more terpenes, maybe, or the resin is a little bit more melty. I don't know, but maybe this is just my personal opinion, bro. Of course. Not from, I, I noticed this because I try to change my, my medium and every time I go back to the soil. And are you doing like a living soil or are you doing, are you adding things to the soil during process, the process? Uh, I would like to try. I never try in my life. I would like to try for the first time. Uh, actually, I'm talking about it with Francesco Docades uh, from With Flowers because he is a really good grower and he grown in, in super soil and he gave me some tricks about it. But, I mean, it depends from ash maker to ash makers, bro, from grower to grower. It's just, you need to be comfortable with, with your methodology, you know? So right. I think that all people adapt the methodology to, to himself. Yeah. And you expressed to me how important you feel it is for have your plants have a lot of vigor during vegetation in order to produce high quality resin at the end. Yeah, bro. I think that the vegetative period is the most important because you need to prepare the plants. So you need, I, I grow, for example, sea of green. So I try to, to fill all my space of, uh, of uh, plants, of wheat. And you need to prepare the plants as better as you can. So more bigger are the plants and the metabolism are really good, you know. So you, I don't know. How can I explain to you perfectly in English? So I'm sorry about it, but I think, yes, you need to prepare the plants uh, to be bigger, you know, to be healthy. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. Is there anything specifically that you do to help the plants in their vegetative state? Mm, no, I just give them the regular feeding. And also, I try to cover all the space with okay, with stems. How can I say the with stems, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, like sea of green, bro. So I try to have like a sea of oh, green, like this, you know? uh, like a screen. You're saying exactly. Okay, yeah. So let's dive a little bit into the to the hash making. Mm -hmm. So let let's start with when the plants are coming down. How are you? determining when the trichomes are ready because one of the things that I found funny in our conversations was 
you told me when you were first growing back in Rome, you were going strictly off the the number of days that the packs were telling you, you know, on on the informational part yeah. of this package. Like, <laughs> and and that yeah. was it, right? You you weren't really thinking about the trichomes. And now that you've had more time to learn about it, especially doing being a hash maker as well. What has changed for you in that? How much have you learned and when are you pulling your plants? Yeah, so uh, first of all, I was growing flowers uh, during the time. So I had a different methodology. And yeah, I tried to to have at the end big buds, you know, really good. But yeah, during the time I became an ash maker, so I changed a little bit my 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 methodology to grow when i started to grow for the first time i just used the day that the breeder put on the seed bag but now for example because i need to wash all my material i see i just take a look with a microscope and when the the glandular of the trichomes are like white you know where they changed from transparent to white this is maybe, not maybe, but for me, this is the best time to cut the plants. So I think it's the best tapping spectrum that you can have. You can have a really good quality of consistency in the final product, a little bit more whitey and more translucent, you know. And yeah, I think it's when you grow flowers, you need to be, you need to go a little bit you need to pass a little bit these steps. So uh, all trichomes are covered with, uh, I don't know the name in English, it's like cuticula here. The cuticle? And the cuticle, exactly. So when it disappears, the air is start to come inside the glandular. So the trichome is started to oxidate it, you know. And when I was growing flowering, I was looking about this amber color. But now when I make bubble hash or water hash, uh, I'm looking whitey trichomes. So do you feel like when they're at that point that they've gone from being clear, like you said, or transparent or seeming that way into this more white or cloudy kind of look, do you feel that's when the trichome is at its like peak i think yes i think yes this is the best moment to cut the plants i think this is yeah the best moment where the trichome are complete and so from that point on do you feel or would you call it a degradation of the trichome once they start a little bit i think a little bit yeah do you feel like there's a difference between resin that's pulled later and resin that's pulled, for example, when it's, like you're saying, white or cloudy? Yeah, bro, you have a different spectrum, you know? So I think the smell and the taste will be different. And the effect, too. Because, for example, if you have the trichome a little bit amber, the effect is more... How can I say couch like you are going to sleep, you know? Right. Maybe 
and again, uh, neither of us are scientists, but possibly a degradation of THC to CBN or something of that sort. Yeah, of course, bro. And also the terpenes are going to change. So you can find some, for example, monoterpenes in, that you cannot find before. It depends, bro. I don't know uh, perfectly because I never did some analysis, as I told you, because we can't. But I would like to do it. Yeah. Of course. And so once your plants come down, can you tell us a little bit about your hash making process? Oh, uh, what do you mean? So you mean you, how um, I prepare the plants, you, for example? How you prepare them, yeah. And then a little bit about like your wash process. Like, are you guys yeah. also doing the reverse osmosis? You know, of is there course, any of course. preferred ice that you're using? Uh, no, about the ice, no. But I prepare, okay. So first of all, we are, we are all single sourcers. So we need to grow our own material to wash because of legality. I mean, so, and also because if you grow your own material, of course, you can do it better than if you take the material from another guy. So here in Barcelona, it's so difficult to find really good material. And if you find it, it's because it's coming from another ash maker or another big, big, big grower, you know? So, all of us, we grown our own material. Uh, from this, when the plants are ready, I just cut the plants and I put all the flour in a, in a little vacuum bags and I freeze it just straight to the freezer. And I wait like three or four days before wash it, more or less. Okay. And yeah, I use a freeze dryer. I use an osmotic water, of course. I have uh, an osmotic tool in my in my labs, uh, my labs, yeah, the HQ labs. So uh, I work there, uh, and yeah, nothing special, bro. I started with uh, I started just drying the resin with air, like all the ash makers, and then I use a freeze dryer that I think it's a game changer in our job. And when you were drying by air, you were sieving, microplaning, both? I, no, I never microplane in my life, bro, because I do not like to microplane. I just sieve all my material, like wash traction do. And so washing-wise, I've seen you use, obviously, ice extract, and I've seen you post that you like uh, how the mesh on the ice extract is black and it kind of allows you to see the resin against it a little bit. Yeah, I think that the black color on the bags are the best because the contrast with the resin is amazing. You can see it. You cannot lose any glandular into the bags, you know? So, yes, and I think they're, they make the best, Bob, the best bags in the market. Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of people. Oh yeah, exactly. And exactly. How many bags are you guys typically running, or does that change or vary from genetics to genetic? Oh, I it depends because I I for example put into dispense into the dispensary the first and the second wash. I usually divide it in. I put the two two twenty, one hundred eighty, one hundred fifty, 
and then directly the 90 or the 104. It depends. And I put, uh, and then the 40. So I put in the dispensary the first and the second wash 149 to 90. And then the other material, I press all the material to make rosin. Okay, so some of it stays as melt and then the rest gets rosined. Exactly. And when, I, when we need to participate to a cup, for example, I just press specific micron. I would like to press specific micron every time, but same reason, I don't have enough material to do it. Right. And are you hand agitating? Yes, yeah, of course. And so course. you mentioned that, you know, you put on the shelves the first and the second wash. How long are your washes typically? Or does that again vary from genetic to genetic? Basically, I do like 10 minutes wash, first and second run. And then 15, because from the third to third or fourth run, I usually remove the 90 and I, I recollect like a full spectrum from 149 to 40. Okay. And you've been telling me that HQ is very well known for the rosin, kind of more so than for the melts. Yeah, but this is just because before, my, before me to arrive there, my boss, David, and my previous colleague, Renny, they made a lot of rosin and they was maybe the first to start to make rosin here in Barcelona and they want some cups uh, from this rosin. But uh, when I arrived like four years ago, for this reason, we decided to participate in a cups just in a rosin category. We can in, in Bubble Hush too, but uh, we are a referred cannabis club in rosin, so we prefer to participate just in this category. And yeah, I think it's because of this, bro, because my boss and, and my colleague, uh, they started to want some cups uh, before all these new techs in rosin, you know? Just yeah. the fresh, when, when, you, we, when you could participate with just with the fresh press. Right. I just spoke to a hash maker for an upcoming interview who uses low temp plates and he told me that outside of loving the press and his custom cherry red plates, the best thing about low temp plates is their customer service because he's never had to reach out to them. That's because low temp plates gear does what it's supposed to do. As with hash, quality in, quality out. Low temp plates builds quality equipment that not only does what it's supposed to do, but it does it consistently. And just in case anything were to happen, remember, they offer a lifetime warranty on all their US manufactured equipment. So if you're in the market for a rosin press and you enjoy having peace of mind, visit lowtemp-plates.com, that's L-O-W-T-E-M-P-plates.com, or follow them on their Instagram at lowtemp.plates. As always, save 5% on your entire order with lowtemp plates by using our savings codes, the letters T-H-I, standing for the hashish in, you type in T-H-I all together, and that saves you 5% on their already incredibly priced rosin presses, it supports the hashish in, 
and it supports a company that makes a great product and supports us. Now back to the episode. So as we said earlier, you're the head extractor at HQ Barcelona, which again is a social club there. Tell me about how that relationship began, because you mentioned that your boss, you said his name was David. Him and uh, somebody else on the staff had already got into the rosin, maybe even won some cups before you got there. So where did this relationship start and where is it at now? Um, yeah, I met David for the first time, maybe, not maybe, like four years ago, something like this. And we was uh, in a workshop of Waterash, maybe. Uh, so I showed to the person who, uh, in, the play, in this place, my, my staff, and he was like, yo, man, your hash is really good, so... Why we, I don't know, we can start a collaboration together or because I was alone. So, so I told him, yes, why not? So we can start to, to do something together. And we started just, uh, I bring him some product to put on the shelf on the dispensary. And then we decided to work actually together. So I have a, con I have a contract in HQ and I work inside the club not also making hash, but helping people with dispensary or in other different areas. Because I think that HQ is uh, world references in a cannabis club because it's a super cool place. And I think that we try to be a worldwide reference, you know, with a, we have a super qualified team my colleagues are highly motivated and they are focused on, on their members and it's need and expectation, you know. So uh, the place is super cool. And also you go inside the club just not to smoke cannabis, but we organize a lot of different activity. For example, like, I don't know, some basketball games or... I don't know, we do a lot of HQ meet and greet or we organize some free dubs during the Sundays. We organize the smoking room, which consists to, to have some local DJ playing into the club. And of course, we organize a lot of special events like, I don't know, anniversary, Thanksgiving, Halloween and something else. I love the, the club. I love the guys because... Uh, we have some slogan that can identify our our philosophy, for example, like family is the people you grow with. And as I told you during this time, we are not just a colleagues, but we are a family. We try to help each other in a different areas, for example. Or if someone needs help, we try to be to be there, you know. And this is maybe the philosophy of my boss, you know. He wants to have a, a family place with really cool guys and, you know, widely motivated. And yeah, I think HQ Barcelona is a good references for all cannabis club here. And not because I'm working inside, but if you came here, you can see with your eyes what I'm talking about. Yeah, I've seen photos of it. And I mean, it, like you said, it, it looks really nice. And, 
and that point that you brought up about having all these other kind of organized activities, even with the, you know, COVID-19 situation, I think they've been doing a lot of like online stuff because I keep up with them. And so, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It seems like, and it seems like you landed in a good place also. Yeah. Also we had, for example, an amazing artist working with us because all our merchandising, all our face, you know, it's, from this guy called Venison. So he made all the drawing for us. He is really cool. And I think I love his job. He is a good artist, you know. And yeah, we have a lot of different things into the club, bro. We can talk about it like for two weeks, for example. <laughs> you know? um, but you told me that HQ has one of the bigger staffs that you know of in yeah. the social club scene. So it's kind of a bigger club. Yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, we, we have the most large team in a cannabis club because we are like 26 person. Okay. Persons or, and from all over the world. So we, I have colleagues from the South of America. I have colleagues from all parts in Europe, like Greek, Greek people, Italian, Spanish, and yeah, I love it, bro, because it's a multicultural family, you know? Yeah, that is very cool. And like you said earlier, you guys kind of seem to shift roles. Obviously, yours is being like the hash maker, but you also kind of fill in and other things as needed, and you guys do what, whatever needs to get done to keep the club going and the members happy. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, because we are, how can I say, we are one, bro. We need to move the club all together, you know. I think where someone needs something, you need to be there to help them. You do not need to think that you are just a Nash maker, you know. Because yes, I am. But of course, if some of my brother needs something, I'll be there to help them, of course. Yeah, that's cool, man. I, that's a good environment to work in, I think, for, like you said, a, a group of people that is together all the time and, and it does become almost like a family. So, you know, I'm curious, uh, what is the reception to rosin and bubble hash on the Barcelona scene by the consumers or by the patients or I don't know what you would call them? Oh, yeah, bro. Just that you mentioned the patient, uh, the patients. I would like to tell you something because we collaborate with a group of people uh, with a company called Medcan, and they are like a group of doctors where we send the medical patients to find the correct treatment for themselves. You know, because as we told you, we are not a scientist, and of course, we are not a doctor, so we can do some really good product, but. Uh, for some reasons, we need to to be helped by a group of doctors that can give to the to the people the correct treatment. You know, so just a little thing that I would like to say. So you're so, saying uh, your like uh, harvest a, a portion of that is going towards helping people that have illnesses or and investigating that, I guess, clinically. Exactly, bro. Exactly, because this is the first reason that 
we do uh, we do what we do, you know. So we need to try to help people. And then, yes, of course, if you want to smoke because because you like to smoke, this is another part of our job. But the the first reason that we work for cannabis is just to help people. I think. Yeah, that's cool. And so the people that are just smoking, you know, it's interesting because Europe obviously has a pretty long history with hash, like you were saying <laughs> earlier. Exactly. And, but it's been a different kind of hash, right? It's more uh, of what you would call, I guess, now a traditional hashish or, you know, usually typically pressed resin and, and, and bubble hash in this sense kind of seen in Barcelona by the consumers. Okay, so I think that a lot of people now smoke bubble hash, a lot. All people like to, to smoke it, but they are not, not all people are comfortable with, with water ash full melt because I think that maybe the 10% or the 20% of the people, they dub. So they usually, and it came from Moroccan hash, from our culture. So I think that people like to put the water ash into their own joint, you know? So some people mix the water ash with tobacco. Okay. So when they buy full melt, for example, some of them, they usually butter it up the material before to put it into the, into the joint, you know, because it's more simple to do it, of course. But still smoking it with tobacco, though. Yeah. The most, the most of people, yes. Even if it is what people consider full milk. Yeah. Yeah. Just the good connoisseurs or the ash makers, but not all, not everybody, uh, but they started, me too. I bought my pipe, for example, like six months ago. And I start to dub it, but I don't dub every day, you know, or every time. Sometimes I make, I make joints. Because I like to smoke Moroccan hash. Some people can hate me because of this, but I love it. And you're smoking that like a spliff mixed with tobacco. Exactly. I try to put less tobacco as possible and more hash, of course. But right. yes, sometimes, yes, because I don't like to smoke weed. And I think that, of course, the flower is, is changed. The taste is changed if you mix it with, uh, with weed, you know, so you cannot Percibes, how can I say? Um, perceive. Persevere, perceive the correct uh, taste of the of the hash, you know? Because yeah, it that's mixes what I'm with about. another flower. Because it's like, you know, I, one of the of things course, I think about... Of course, personal opinion, eh? Of course, of course personal yeah. opinion. But dabbing, you know, that's one of the things about it, is, right? It's like how clean it is. And I mean, in part, like, you know, good resin is not cheap anywhere in the world. Exactly. And, you know, mixing it with tobacco, I think a lot of people here would, you know, view it almost as a, like going backwards type thing. But over there, it's a cultural, it's like a staple of the culture, you know. So it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. And all the clubs, Not I'm assuming, are tobacco friendly. Yeah. All the club. Yeah. And so... And also, I think that another reason is that, of course, products are, are not cheaper. So if you want to smoke rosin or water ash, full melt, you know, the prices are a little bit more expensive. 
So I think that not all people can smoke this kind of quality every time. Yeah. No, I agree. And I mean, that's something that you and I talked about how, you know, by being a hash maker, that is in a way uh, a perk of the job is that you tend to be able to have high quality resin for yourself more so than if you were just not a hash maker. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe if I wasn't a hash maker, I don't know if, if I was able to, to smoke all this quality at the time, you know? Right. So let's talk about quality. Let's talk about Masters of Rosin. That's again, something that your club has kind of put together, it seems like. And I've seen, like you mentioned, the cool artwork um, from Venayasan. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worry, bro. No worry. So, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, let's talk about Masters of Rosin. Uh, Masters of Rosin is the first event and competition, I think, create for international rosin connoisseurs. And I think it was maybe the first only rosin competition, but I'm not sure about it. We had two different categories, like ash rosin and flower rosin, because here in Barcelona, some people still doing rosin from flowers. So we have both categories, but maybe next year we are going to have just one rosin. And if you want to participate with flowers, it's just your, 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 your problem, your own choice. We send all our samples to, uh, to the Cana Foundation lab. It's a lab of expert, of expert people that they analyze all the sample for, to see just cannabinoids and terpenes. And if there are some uh, metal, hard metal inside or some pesticide, you know. So right. I think that our methodology, to, the methodology used to, uh, to doing this cup is super transparent and organized when measuring results. So for this, we have like created a web application where you can go inside and you can log it in you can follow the entire competition. So also, I go back to the QR code. Uh, all the sample, they have a QR code on them. So you, all judges can go with their camera, they can scan the code, and they will be redirect to the, to the web app of Masters of Rosin in this particular sample, and they can judge the sample uh, directly into this web app. So I think nobody do this before. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And one of the features you were telling me last time that I found useful is as a judge, even you can go back and edit a score. So if you try exactly. Rosin 1 and then by Rosin 7, Rosin 1 isn't as good or it's better, you can go back and change that. So yeah, that's that's pretty cool, man. It seems pretty like, High tech, um, but like you said, the the transparency is nice. And exactly. You, in a way, it seems like maybe were was the last like actual uh, big cannabis event that happened be- pre COVID nineteen or, or Corona. You know. Yeah, my boss says this every time because yeah, it, it's true. It was the last event maybe in the world 
the, the, the most large event in the world before coronavirus. And right. also we needed to move the, the awards one day before on Friday because on Saturday we was closed. It was the first day of closing. Right, yeah, it had to be kind of rushed, but yeah, that's crazy, man. And so, yeah, you guys are kind of coming back now and, and you've told me that Spain is doing this in phases and the social clubs are even a little behind uh, maybe other sectors or other businesses. And so how has that been kind of reopening and, and what's that like? Okay, some club, they are open, some not because they are waiting for the step two. Uh, because some lawyers say something, some lawyers say something else. Because we don't have nobody writing, you know. We don't have any laws about cannabis clubs. Right, so, the gray area. Exactly. So we try to 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 work hard to to push up the 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 club you know to try to to back to the normal life you know to back to the same people we had two months ago and that's it bro i think this is the first the first goal that we had now to achieve you know we need to think just on the club and we need to be back and we need to to go back to the same club we had before the coronavirus. Right. And because the club was closed down and all clubs were closed down for what, like almost two months, just completely. Yeah. Two months and half. Yeah. And now, uh, you know, these phases that you've been talking about it, are you allowing like only a certain amount of people in at a time? Do people have to wear like protective? Yeah. It depends from city to city and from the infection. So there are some cities that they have more infected people, so they cannot move to the next uh, phase, you know. So uh, Barcelona is one of them, for example, because right. now all the, all the cities are in the step three and we are going to move to the step two because we was previously in the step one. We gotcha. were stuck in the step one. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy time, bro, in history. So I think nobody, no, 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 uh, nobody have uh, experienced something like that before in their life. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting time in history, man. You know, yeah. And I don't, I don't know how things will will pan out, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, of course, of course. <laughs> so. You know, back to Masters of Rosin, back to kind of competing. You told me an interesting story. Uh, you, uh, I believe maybe along with uh, La Sagrada Farms, took the yeah, Eagle Clash uh, Barcelona 2020. Yeah, so uh, this is another interesting part of my life because I'm. they are my brothers from different mothers. They are maybe the ash makers that I love more. And apart to be a good ash maker, they are a really good person. You know, as I told you, for me, it's super important. I have a really good friendship with him, with them. And we go to it together every day. We stay together every day. And 
we started this kind of collaboration, a long time collaboration between HQ and La Sagrada Farm, like one year ago. Uh, and we participated for the Fresh Cup Saragossa together for the first time in 2019. And we took the second place with Z Punch in Water Ash category. It was my first, my first award in Water Ash because I ever participated in Rosin, as I told you before. So from, from this moment, sometimes we wash together, we press together. We exchange some cut together. So I give them some cuts grown. They give them some cuts as well. And yeah, uh, it was a, a really good time for me because we exchange a lot of knowledge between each other. And we was able to go to the next step in the rosin game, for example. I try to learning something more about this new jar tech. Uh, try to, to make some super fire product uh, like i don't know some maybe we made like the first rosin gem in europe i don't know if if i'm right but i think i'm i am and maybe we made the first rosin gem in, in europe the, not the first rosin gem but the first rosin gem properly uh, do it you know the yeah. real one so let's talk about rosin and rosin making a little bit you know once you're yeah, processing yeah. material you mentioned earlier uh, you're going with the freeze dryer over the air dried. Is there mm -hmm. a reason outside of space, time, and convenience for that? About the freeze dryer? Yeah. Do you prefer the freeze dryer? I Yeah, bro. But there is a really big reason that we use a freeze dryer. And this is not just because it's a game changer, but the weather condition, the temperature here in Barcelona is not good. So if you want to do high dry, you need to have a really good laboratory to work with. So, and also you need to have a really good cold temperature, you know? So sometimes people prefer to use the freeze dryer just to do not make, made a mistake, you know, to not lose such a big quantity of material. Right. I think and this is, this is what I think, more or less. And so, once you get the resin dry, and you put aside the full melt, like you said, that goes on the shelves, mm -hmm. what are you doing with the rest of the material in regards to the rosin? Like, does some of it stay as fresh pressed? Does it all get battered? Does some of it get jammed? How do you decide? What's that process like for you? I think it depends, bro, on what we want. Just this. If you want a fresh press, I just do fresh press. Uh, if you want rosin jam, I just do rosin jam. But rosin jam, for example, not all people like to smoke rosin jam because it's so powerful and maybe it's a little bit expensive too. I think that people prefer to smoke some wet butter consistency better than rosin jam. So we did and we do a lot of wet butter consistency for example instead of fresh presses or rosin jam i think the 80 percent of our product is wet butter consistency yeah why do you think people prefer that in in this case maybe i'm thinking it could also have to do with the fact that if people are smoking spliffs a lot and not a lot of people are dabbing it's probably i think this is one of the reasons yeah i think this is one of the reasons but 
I think that what with, with consistency is, I don't know, you know, it's more whitey. It's, there is a lot of terpenes inside. Yeah, I think for the taste too, because but the rosin gem. It, the rosin gem, sorry, go ahead. No, because I think that the rosin gem is too much power, powerful for a lot of people. And you need to, actually, you need to like the taste because it's totally different from wet butter consistency, you know? Yeah, the profile definitely changes. Um, and like you said, you know, you haven't had access to be able to test that stuff. But, you know, from your kind of direct experience with that, how do you approach making that consistency of jams? Oh, this is one of the best tech for me. If, if I can, maybe I just make rosin jam. I love it. And my approach was just uh, talking with the guys of La Sagrada, for example, and I started to reading something in, in Instagram and I made some rosin jam before made it with them, but it wasn't properly do it. You know, it was properly, um, the consistency wasn't good for me. So I think when I met them, we was able to put together some knowledges that maybe I felt or they too that we lose. Sorry. So yes, maybe it was there that we understand correctly how to make rosin jam. Yeah, and so but, were some of those early mistakes, if you want to call them, do you think that were happening when you weren't properly making them? I think that the best mistake that that a nash maker can do when they make rosin jam is just the time when you pull out the the jar from the oven, you know. So you can do it early and you can have like a different wet butter consistency of if you pull out the material a little bit after you can nucleate it. So you can't create diamond later. So I think the best mistake can, or someone like open the jar during the, the process. Yeah. So, so by it, nucleation, it, do you mean that it goes past a point where it could crystallize essentially? Exactly. Exactly. Where the, 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 the final consistency will be like sap, you know, like sauce, super liquid. Right. And if you pull it too early, like you said, it's more of a batter consistency than again, uh, creating that separation. Yeah, exactly. But it can be like a, a sugar consistency, you know? Okay. So smaller yeah. crystallization? Yeah, super smaller crystallization. And how do you, now that you have more experience with it, how are you able to tell when it's ready? Oh, it depends, bro, from strain to strain. You need to find the correct time. It, it's not simple for me to explain to you in English, but the product is start to bubble into the... You need to melt it down completely the material before to make jam, okay? So you use the oven to do this. So you need to 
melted down all the material, but you need to be to pay attention to to find the correct timing to to take out the product from the oven because uh, it needs to be super liquid. But uh, uh, it's so difficult for me to explain, bro, in English. This uh, you need to see the bubble, the bubbles, because they start to go from the bottom of the jar to the to the top. You know, okay. and then they disappear. So you don't need to wait that the bubble disappear. You know, but you need right. to find the correct timing to pull out the jar from the oven. Right, and then aside from that, obviously that's the biggest kind of first important step. But you said that the heating mat also plays a big part into properly creating what you feel is a, a proper made rosin jam. Yes, because you change the temperature. So you put in down the temperature and you help with, with doing this, you help the, the terpenes to do their solvent things because they, the terpenes actually, they have the same function of solve. They are the natural solvent. So they create like pressure into the, into the, into the jar that let the THCA crystallize it. So the mat is actually do this this part of the process. Right. And, you know, you said that you enjoy jam. You really like it. And uh, you've told me in our conversations that you enjoy smoking it as well. What do you feel like? I don't know how to say this. What about the strain that you are growing for, for mm -hmm. a profile that it has? And then you process it into water hash and it might have obviously a little bit different profile because of some water soluble terpenes or whatnot. And then you're processing it further into rosin, which has its own kind of terpene profile. And then you're processing it even further into the jam. And now it has another profile. What do you think about keeping, I don't know if authenticity or, or the original profile similar to changing it so much, but what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think maybe the that the 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 right the right profile is in the fresh press. You know the correct profile because when you apply heat or you cure the material or you are doing some cold cure, of course you apply another tech. So you let the terpenes explode. In my personal opinion, so the taste and the smell is going to change. So I think the correct terpenes profile is the fresh press, the so real terpenes profile. Yeah, and once you're pushing it, that it, is it almost becoming a thing of its own? A thing of? It's like a thing of its own. It's no longer that genetic anymore. It's changing that genetics almost. Yeah, of course, because we talk about it a few days ago, because uh, we are talking about the analysis that Rosin Ryan put in his Instagram account, where right. you can see that he put some some anal analysis in the fresh press, and then he do the same analysis in the after Rosin jam. So we can see that the percentage of terpenes increase a lot. Right. He had like, if I 
if I do not make a mistake, he had like 14% in a fresh press that it's super huge. I never seen something like this before. A lot of terpenes. And then he made Rosingen and he had like 25% or something like this. So I read some comments uh, on this post and yeah, of course the eat help the material to change and maybe to release some new terpenes. Or you can see some monoterpenes, for example, in the second anal- analysis that you, that you can find in the first analysis. So, I mean, I think that, yeah, it's all about the eat and the change. It's a really strange process to make rosin jam. For this reason, I love it. It's super cool. And the fact is that the product after jam, it tastes better than before, bro. So this is a fact. And by better, do you mean that it's just stronger or that it's like just more? No, pungent? I mean, no, I think better in it. I think it's more powerful in terpenes and in consistency and in effect. Yeah, I think it's an, how can I say? It's an overall, you know, you can have the best overall after the tech. After the tech. Okay. And, you know, you brought up uh, the cold cure and curing is always kind of a pet peeve of mine to talk about because I'm always curious what hash makers are referring to when they, they say that the hash is curing. What does curing mean to you specifically talking about resin? Yeah, I think that curing is not a correct word. It's just the material is just change. It's not cure. You know, I mean, you just let the material become or took another kind of consistency. So I don't think actually it's a cure, but it's like process. We can call it a process. Yeah. Do you feel like it's almost like letting the resin settle, just kind of naturally settle and maybe in some cases, obviously under pressure? Yeah, possibly. Yes. And it itself, it like you said, the terpenes kind of do their their thing as hydrocarbons and exactly are able they to react. separate themselves exactly they react as a solvent so and i've heard though that some like anything else i guess with hash the genetics also play a lot lar- large part in that have you found that when doing cold cure material the genetics had an important role in in this kind of process because you need to find the correct genetics that have the resin full of terpenes and with more THC possible, for example. So yes, you need to find the correct genetics to do a correct product or to do the the, the product properly. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned to me that with the Ego Clash win this year, and I believe maybe Spanish last year, I think you said, you ran, uh, I believe it was a Sunset Sherbert. Is that correct? Exactly. Yes, I forgot to to talk about the the ego clash that you asked me before with La Sagrada. Uh, yeah, we. Uh, I ran the Sunset Sherbert for the. I took the. We took the, with HQ the first place in Spanabis 2019 solvent category. And then we took the first place in Ego Clash in Rosin category with the guys from La Sagrada Farm with the same strain. 
So after two years, the Sunset Sherbert is still crashing, bro. So I love it. I never run the, the Sunset Sherbert to make ash because the return is ridiculous. So I just use it for the cup because the terpenes profile and the consistency is it's huge. Yeah, that, that was really what made it interesting to me when we talked about it is you basically knew that it would not yield well in water hash. Exactly. But you were willing to run that plant in order to have a profile that you felt could compete with some of the best, you know, rosin around, not only in, in Spain, I guess, in some of these competitions, but maybe from some international. Yeah, exactly, bro. I think that, I think that this terpenes profile is really good and also it changed from grower to growers. I mean, it depends from who grown this kind of, uh, of strain because you can have some terpenes. For example, if I grown it, I can have different terpenes that if another friend of mine can grow it. So it's a super strange strain. And I love it because uh, it's super exotic with a little bit of skittles terpenes inside. Super fruity. It's, it's crazy, bro. One day, I hope you can have the possibility to try it. Hey, me too, man. <laughs> yeah, um, it was crazy. We never expected to took the first place, but we did it, you know? It was incredible. Yeah, that's cool. And you said that was particularly special to you because it was a hash-making competition by hash makers and being judged by yeah. hash makers. Yeah, exactly. The, the ego clash is the the only cup in the world where ash maker judge other ash maker so in this competition this particular competition you are in the same room with all the competitors and you can judge all the samples and also you judge your own sample so for this reason they call it ego clash because it's all about ego you know you need to put apart your ego and you need to be clear as clear as possible you know in your in your judge in your vote yeah another thing i found interesting about that sunset sherbert was that you said that because the yield is so low that you actually competed with full spec on that and i know that <laughs> you were uh really high on on the specific microns so you know that you won with a full spec rosin i think is kind of cool man yeah, because uh, I run just one lamps and I had a really bad return. Like we had like, I don't know, maybe 3% or 2.8 or something like this. So we made just 40 grams and enough to put all together and to press it to make some, some fire product, you know. For this reason, I told you that I never expected to took the first place because it was not specific micro, but it was a complete full spectrum. And first and second wash together, it was a little bit strange, the situation caused the, the return of the material. Right. Yeah, well, you know, congratulations on, on winning that win. Thank you, bro. Thank you. And how many, I guess, competitions overall kind of have you been in, I'm assuming with HQ as well? I don't know, maybe like 12. 
or something like this. Okay. And how many wins have you had, just out of curiosity? No, HQ had a lot of competition more. But with me, just 12. I see. But did you place in all of them? Like, did you... Yeah, yeah, of win? course. Yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. <laughs> cool, man. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I, I love it because we took the podium every time. So we was able to to make some super five product and we was able to took the podium on every competition we participated. Yeah, that is very cool, man. And what would you say overall, like the quality of the resin in the even let's say in the last two to three years, has it increased a lot from other social clubs or other like personal growers? Yeah, bro, of course. Of course. And I think that it's coming from new genetics that we can find right now. Right. And also a lot of breeders, as I told you before, they start to make a particular line just based on ash making. You know, so yeah, it's better to do some selection from some plant that you know that you can find a keeper to make hash. Because this is another reason that it's difficult for us to make a selection. Because we cannot grow flowers anymore. No, cannot. We don't grow flowers anymore. So we need to try a really good genetics that make a really good resin to make really good hash. Who are some of the breeders that you kind of look at? Oh, you know, let me think about it. I saw some really good thing from Seed Junkie. Yeah. And which one? I saw that Purple City Genetics, they now uh, made a particular line for, for ash making. Ah, and also, of course, uh, an exotic genetics. He maybe changed a little bit the ash game with his cookies and creams. I never had a pleasure to try it, but I would like to try sometimes too to grow it and to wash it because yeah, he made really, really fire genetics. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that cookies and creams and, you know, when I spoke to a Cuban, he also mentioned just the fact that like, he felt like when he was breathing at the beginning, he was looking at like the bottom of the bag with a bunch <laughs> of trichomes, right? Like that's the quality he was looking for in the trichomes. Yeah. So it's, I think it's definitely one of the companies who's putting out some lines that work well for water hash. And like I mentioned to you, of course, earlier, uh, Harry Palms seems to be... Harry Palms too, yeah. And of course, the strawberry banana, for example, from DNA Genetics, it changed the game. Because uh, we had uh, a period where, where all people uh, has growing like strawberry banana and they made a lot of hashish from from this train. So yeah, DNA genetics too. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you hanging out. Um, I know we've been hanging out for a while, so I have a few questions to wrap it up. You know, I'm curious as you said to me in our conversations that because of your situation or because how things are set up right now in Spain or in Barcelona, you're kind of, taking a little bit of a hat of being grower, hash maker. But if you could, you would 
prefer to be a hash maker only and leave the growing to, you know, a team of people that you obviously trust as well? This is a really good question, bro. I was talking with Matteo from La Sagrada Farm about it like one week ago. And yeah, I would like to be an hash maker. I would like to make just hash. So one day when the situation will be legal, I would like to have my own labs, you know, and just making hash. But him, for example, he loved to grow. I love to grow too. But if I can choose, I prefer to make just hash. Right. Yeah, that stood out to me and was interesting because I think some people enjoy both, but, you know, you have that very no, clear Me too, cut. me too. Right. But professionally, like you'd like to be in a lab all the time. Ash maker all life. Yeah. And your, where do you actually work out of? Or like, what's your lab like? Oh, yeah. I have a little lab in HQ uh, that we decided to build together with my with my boss and it's a little lab where I have just the necessary, you know, and I have a powerful air conditioning, a press, a freeze dryer and bags. And of course some metal table and some stainless steel tools that I work with. Right. But it's super, super professional. Yeah. I love my lab. I love my labs too much. Yeah, that's cool. But you did tell me that you felt like because things are so gray in a way, you don't feel like there's anybody who's come out and built like a, a massive, like expensive solventless lab in Barcelona right now. Yeah, it's the lit- uh, I think that all ash makers have their own labs, but... It's, yeah, it's a little bit difficult to build a huge labs and to spend a lot of money on it because maybe sometimes some someone, I mean, police can go inside and right. can just close the place and fuck it up all the money you spend about it. Right. And again, this goes back to the idea that cannabis is only legal within the system inside the social clubs not yeah. outside of the social clubs. Exactly. You can smoke weed, but nobody knows where the weed came from. Right. Or you can process it, and, but <laughs> nobody knows where all the weed came from. Exactly. And also, uh, we cannot transport the material from, right. for example, from where we grow to the club. This is, another, this is another problem for us. So yeah. we try to have all in the same place just to be sure that nothing bad happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Since you uh, are still handling or, or doing some growing, what are some specific challenges or challenges that you find due to where you are in Barcelona? What are some of the issues uh, being maybe close to the sea, maybe humidity? Yeah, of course, bro. Uh, I think temperature is one of the of the first one. So you need to spend a lot of money your grow room, for example, because if not, uh, you are going to have a lot of disease. This is the second reason, because we have a lot of disease. 
like, I don't know, a spider, powdery mildew for humidity. So you need to pay attention on it. And of course, we have all in the same place. So if we have a problem in just one plant, we can have a problem in all the growth. So uh, I think maybe temperature, yes, and and humidity and disease are the most common uh, difficult that we had growing. Okay. I'm curious how you run your IPM or your pest management situation. You, you mentioned like the spider or maybe spider mites. Uh-huh. How do you uh, combat that? Yeah, I use a biological, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know the, the terms, uh, biological attack. So I, I bought like um, benefits spider that they eat the, the bad ones. So I usually bought two different, um, uh, two different spiders. Okay. So, uh, yeah, because uh, I read that they start to to feed in themselves, and then when the food is finished, they start to to fight for the uh, to fight each other's. You know, so they start they for, to fight for the food. So they start to kill each other's, and they eat each other's because they don't have food anymore. So I usually do this particular thing in my plants, but just during the summer, because during the winter, you can grow a little bit more simple, you know? Okay. You you have less problem, of course. Yeah. And, you know, kind of changing the pace a little, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, you know, traditional hash versus this kind of newer style of hash. and do you feel that one is better than the other? Do you feel that they're different things? Or, and in general, what is hashish to you at this point? I think, bro, that all things change during the time. And all things be better during the time. And I think that ash now it's better than 20 years ago. So... I think that in the non-solvent game, when we was able to achieve the same consistency of BHO, I think we did it. So I think now, for example, the BHO, it's a little bit disappear here in Europe because all people prefer to smoke non-solvent, of course. So I think it's just an upgrade. Okay. And... One of the differences that I kind of find or find intriguing is the idea that French talks about all the time about terroir, right? Like that's maybe one of the things that, that has changed because now, like you said, the, the genetics uh, are being grown indoors mostly and exactly. you're losing a little bit of that idea of like tasting a, a a region or a place in a, in a plant or in a resin and how that, that environment has shaped that. Yeah, bro. But we can, we do a lot of outdoor, but we can do it just one time for, for year from right. March from, from no, here is from May to September, October, more or less. 
but I never do outdoor, for example, in my life because I can't. Right. So, and you need to be, you need to pay attention to the police, bro. So you need to build a really good outdoor. You need to stay in a really safe place and without houses, without neighborhood, you know, it's yeah. a little bit complicated. Yeah, for sure. I imagine. The smell is amazing. So <laughs> you need to pay attention on the smell during September and October. Yeah, but I, I have seen some people out there that they do grow both indoor and some sun, like you said. I'm curious what you think about the difference in terpenes and the difference in profiles and even in effect strength, sun versus indoor lighting. Mm, yeah, I know that in USA, for example, some people say that outdoor is better than indoor because they grow really good flowers uh, outdoor. But here, I think that we don't have a lot of people that have the correct knowledge, you know, to do this kind of product outdoor. So yeah, here, yes, here the the things it it's a, a little bit different. So indoor products are better than outdoor product here, but just because of this reason, because maybe the knowledge it's the knowledge and of course the temperature and the uh, the environment is different. Right. I'm curious. So I think it's just about it. Okay. Out of all the hash that you've tried in the past couple of years, whether it's local or non-local from some of these events and people coming through, what's some of the resin that kind of sticks out to you that you've smoked that has kind of blown you away? I think that I try a lot of resin in my life. But for example, uh, seven years ago from Richie Methods, an, an old friend of mine, I, he was an inspiration for me because I try maybe the best bubble hash in town at the moment. And he was maybe with Paulino, we flower one of the best hash makers seven years ago. So I think that, I don't know, it, for me, for example, the best product I ever try in bubble hash and in rosin, it came from Doc Aids from We Flower and the guys from La Sagrada Farm. I tried some really good bubble hash from La Calada. I tried some fire dry sift from Sandro Confa, DJ Confa from Growers with Attitude, and Mirko Hemenem too. And yeah, fuck, they are all Italian, bro. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I smoked the best product from them. I need to say this, bro, because it's true. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's it's, <laughs> good. it's true. It's good to give props to people who you feel deserve them, you know. Yeah. So and maybe this is my little community. So yeah, I'm sure that plays into it, but that's cool, you know. So uh, you know, obviously, keeping HQ out of the picture. What's your favorite social club in Barcelona? I love a lot Train Hunter Social Club, for example. He is a good club and I go there sometimes to chill and to smoke something. I know better the, the owners and the guys who work inside and it's a really good place to go. 
And yeah, I think maybe for me, is the best club after HQ. Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, that's something that you guys, I feel, are so, like, far in advance with, as opposed to here in the United States, even though you have such kind of a weird space and it's behind closed doors, but you have a, a social scene. You know, you have a place that people can go and be a member and get what they need and hang out and smoke and talk with other people, see other people. Obviously now I know things are a little different with the, the health stuff, but that's such a cool feeling. I think uh, as a cannabis consumer to have that as opposed to having to always find a, a private, whether it's a residence or something private to consume here in the United States. Yeah, I think that a lot of USA people, when they came in HQ, they love these particular things that you can go there and you can stay there to smoke. Because in the dispensary in USA, you need to go by and go in your house or, or in the house or your friends or something like this. But this right. is the, the, cool, the cool reason of the cannabis clubs. I mean, that it's like a really good community you can smoke inside you can consume inside you can spend your time inside doing a lot of good things as i told you not just in cannabis so you can play bdr you can play games you can read something you can listen to music you you can just doing your own work at the computer you know right you can do a lot of different things in the cannabis club you can eat inside you can have the bar. Yeah, it's cool, man. Oh, well, it just sounds bro. like a place to hang out. Yeah, exactly. Just relaxing. If you had to recommend a couple of restaurants in Barcelona next time people are there for Spanibus or... <laughs> I can recommend you a few restaurants, but I'm going to recommend you just one, and it's, for me, the best one. The name is Semei. And it's a Venetian restaurant and it's super cool. I bring there a lot of people to eat and I go there for the first time with my boss because he loved to, to eat and he loved to find new places to eat. He also have a, an Instagram account called Gastro Bro where he put all the photos of the dishes he eats in a different restaurant that we that he go. So Cheme is one of these one. Uh, Cagnette Bar is really good. Uh, if you want to eat good meat, you can go to I don't know Canchuradas, for example, or I don't remember the name of the Ah Asador de Randa. It's another really good place too. Okay, cool, but man. when you come here, bro, no worry. I, I will be your amphitryon. Can I say this? Yeah, yeah. I know what uh, you mean. But yeah, okay. thank you so much. I, I definitely hope to be able to make it out there. But yeah, for even the people listening, you know, like if they're out there and they want to eat some good food, um, I think those Nick, are some... Nick for example, love to come to eat with, with us every time. Yeah, the food looks amazing, man. <laughs> Just from what I see from all the Instagram, Terps Army's Instagram and... Nicotine when he's out there. Exactly. Oh, Terps Army, bro. Terps Army is a, 
it's one of the the other huge clubs in the city and it's another club where you need to go of course i don't know why, why i lose it but yes it's one of the best club in barcelona of course yeah yeah i met the guy a little bit in in miami he's a he's a cool guy but yeah, yeah lorenzo I, is a good guy yeah your favorite three hash makers wow <clears throat> La Sagrada Farm, uh, Doc Aid, and maybe one between Bobby from La Calada and Sandro from uh, Confa from Growers with Attitude. Okay, cool. I'm going to tell you four. So this point. <laughs> the favorite genetics to smoke for yourself? Uh, now I love a lot Z Punch. It's a mix between, it's a cross between Skittles, uh, San Fernando Valley OG, and, and Purple Punch. It's really good. The taste is like orange, you mix it with some kind of fruit. It's so good. And I love ice cream cake a lot. Okay, cool. And last question. If you could hear someone else interviewed on this program who's either a hash maker or in the hash world, who would that be? Maybe La Sagrada Farm. Okay, cool. Yes, so, of course, bro. I'm going to tell you my preferred hash maker. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you, uh, I don't know if you interview, if you made an interview with Solventless Mind. Not yet, but quite a few people have asked me about him. Yeah, you need to do it. I, I love his job. I don't know him in person, but I have so much respect with, uh, on him. And I think he is one of the best I should make him now. Yeah, I'll definitely try to talk to Tom and I'll put La Sagrada on my, on my list for sure. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you doing this with me because um, I know with the very few people that I've communicated or hash makers in Spain, a lot of the hesitancy is with the language, you know, and yeah, I, it, it, I was scared about it, bro, but I would like to say just sorry if my English is not perfect, but I try to do my best, you know, so I hope it's this interview. It's, it will be super cool. Yeah, man. I think it's super cool. I think just, you know, hearing from you and, and learning so much of, you know, stuff that most of us don't know about is super cool. But dude, you know, you're Italian, you speak Italian first, then uh, you now speak Spanish, living in Spain and English. So, you know, that's, that's more than, than most of us speak. So thank you, know, you, bro. Props to you, man. Thank you so much, bro. And thank you so much again to invite me to this amazing podcast. Yeah, of course. Again, this is Andrea, better known as Slight23. You can follow him at Slight23, S-L-I-T-E-2-3, and his club at HQ Barcelona. Again, Andrea, so thankful for your time, bro. So thankful to, you know, have been able to get to know you for the past month or so. And uh, I hope, yeah, we can keep chatting once in a while. Yeah, of course, bro. Thank you so much again, and I hope you have a nice weekend. Likewise, bro. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Hashish In. If you like the podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. Until next time.